0: Hey, good morning. My name is Kendall. Uh, As Matt said, I am the children's pastor here. Uh, So I don't actually get to spend a lot of time in here, so it's pretty exciting when I do get to be in here. Uh, We've been working through a series called Miracles, which isn't necessarily your typical Advent series on hope, joy, love, peace, but if you've been here the last two weeks, or if you're not here, you're going to figure out that these miracles that we're processing together are deeply tied to Advent. And so Chris started, two weeks ago, he started this series off for us, and he explained to us that in John, when he says the word miracle, it's actually sign, which is in Greek is semeon, We've been really practicing our Greek with Matt the past couple weeks. It's semeon. So, a little bit of an understanding in case you haven't been here just to make sure we all understand. Semeon sign emphasizes the end purpose, purpose which exalts the one giving it. So, there's a sign and then there's a purpose to it. That's not necessarily the same thing. So, accordingly, it's used dozens of times in the New Testament for what authenticates the Lord and His eternal purpose. So we see signs used all throughout Scripture, all sorts of times, whether it's God saying, yeah, you can trust that this person is who I'm speaking through, or you can trust that the thing that I said is going to happen is going to happen. He uses signs all throughout Scripture, and they're an indication of something else. So in this series, we're looking at signs in the New Testament, specifically in the book of John. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be working from. Um, We'll start Oh, I'm skipping ahead of myself. That's okay. You can go to John chapter 6, verse 20. While I'm talking, you can make your way there. So each gospel, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially, are really, really similar. And then also John is considered a gospel. And They each tell a lot of the same stories, but from a different perspective. A little bit of a different perspective, each emphasizing a little bit of a different thing about Jesus. And so every miracle that Jesus performs that we have recorded in John, he explains for us as pointing to something. He explains it to us as a sign of people are, people are looking for something. If you read through John, you can tell that there's this question that they're asking. And John himself was actually a sign. It was prophesied before John came that he would come. You can find that in Malachi chapter 3 if you are wondering where that is. And also in just before John was even born about what his life would be and the purpose of his life was to be a sign. So it makes sense that in his book, of what we have of his writing and his perspective, that it's all about signs. And so just for some examples of what people are looking for in the sign that he's talking about. um, Okay, so we have some examples in John that we're just going to look through at really quick of what people are looking for. So John 4, 29, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Again, in John 7, 26, 27, Here he is speaking publicly. They're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Down to verse 42 in that same chapter. Does the scripture say, does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants in Bethlehem, the town where David lived? People are asking questions about the Messiah in the book of John. And they're asking about Jesus and they're trying to figure out, is this the one? So before we dive into the miracle, our miracle this morning, I want to just pause and talk a little bit about the word Messiah, about what I mean when I'm saying Messiah, because this is the context for John's writings and the question that he's trying to answer. We're only going through four miracles in our miracle series, which like barely scratches the surface of miracles, even in the Bible. But to put that in even more perspective, if you've already turned to John 20, we're going to look at verses 30, 31 real quick here. Jesus did many other miracles, many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. So there's more than even what we have. But these are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So really conveniently, we have right here what this book is about. If you have uh, titles in your Bible, the kind of like the section titles, Um, Some of them might actually just say right on top of those two verses, the purpose of John's gospel. It's really convenient that it's just right there that we have that. So this is kind of what we're filtering through. We're understanding the miracles and understanding the signs that we have written. And this isn't even all of them that we have. So we're going to flesh those two verses out a little bit more after we talk about our miracle. Uh, But that context is just really, really important. And depending on what translation you have, where it says Jesus is the Messiah, your Bible might say Jesus is the Christ depending on what translation you have. The reason for that is Messiah is a Jewish, or Jewish, Hebrew word, Hebrew word, and then Christ is Christos, is the Greek word. They're the same word, just different languages. We don't actually have an English word for Christ or Messiah. They're a transliteration of Messiah or of Christ. And so the closest thing in English that we have to those is anointed one. Messiah, Christ, anointed one. Now bear we bear with me a little bit. We have to explain. Uh, There's a threefold understanding to Messiah, to the anointed one, because there are three offices that a person could be anointed for. The prophet, the priest, and the king. And so the anointed one, the Messiah, would be the fulfillment of these three offices. And so anyone who came in those offices before him was supposed to just be a sign if they did their job well, which lots of them even in scripture didn't. But they're supposed to be a sign of, of the Messiah, of the one that was supposed to come. So we have these three offices. First, we have the prophet. So a prophet represents God to us. The one who reveals God to us. So we might not necessarily always say Jesus is a prophet. Sometimes we say that. Um, But when we say Jesus is God, that's actually us stating that he's fulfilling the the office of prophet. And then we have Jesus as priest. So a priest represents us to God. So this is how we get forgiveness of our sins and how we can actually come before God. And so when we say Jesus is Savior, that's actually us stating that he's fulfilling this office of priest. And then we have King. So King rules over us. We're his representatives. We're his followers, his subjects, his ambassadors. And so when we talk about, I think we say Jesus is King probably more often than we would state Jesus as priest or Jesus as prophet. But also if we might say Jesus is Lord, that's another way of us talking about how Jesus fulfills this office of King. So we have these three anointed offices. The Jews especially, would have, they would have known this. They would have known this really well. However, as a displaced people, especially after having been slaves in Egypt, which we have in the Old Testament, they wanted the Messiah to be a king because that's the greatest felt need that they had. They were hoping that the Messiah would come and be a king for them. And so when we're reading about how they're looking for the Messiah in the New Testament, by the time this happens, really what they're looking for is they're looking for a king. They're looking for a king to liberate them from Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or Rome or whoever was ruling over them at the time. They're looking for a king more than anything else when they're talking about looking for a Messiah in the New Testament. So today I have the opportunity to share with you about the feeding of the 5,000. So that's in John 6. You can flip back a few pages from John 20. We're going to be looking, stopping and starting a little bit from that scripture. So if you have your Bibles or have it on your devices, join me in there. If not, it will also be on the screen. So we're going to start John 6, verses 1 to 2 here. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So there's this great crowd, and this crowd is full of people who are asking who is this Jesus? And there's this massive crowd because they all want to see this guy for themselves. They all want to figure out who this is. Continuing verse three. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So that means that there was more people around in Jerusalem than usual because it was almost Passover time. There'd be Jews living all over scattered on Jerusalem that are all coming together. So this crowd is big. This crowd is full of people, all gathering in Jerusalem and all asking, who is this Jesus? Continuing verse five. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far can they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Depending on your translation, it might say just the men and 5,000 of them, or it might say men, plus there was women and children. Realistically, the 5,000, that only includes the men. There was probably more like 15,000 people there. So there's like maybe 300 people in this room. Times this by like 50. There was a lot of people there. There was a lot of people there. Continuing from verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So this massive crowd all ate as much as they wanted. Philip had just said that they didn't have enough, not even more than half a year's wages would have paid for enough food to give each person even a little bit, even a bite. I don't know what kind of grocery bills you have, but there's only two people in my house, and we spend a lot of money on groceries. The kings have three boys, and they spend a lot of money on groceries, and there's five of them, right? These are thousands of people, and each person ate as much as they wanted, and there were leftovers. So what happened here? A more important question, the question of the crowd, who is this Jesus? Who is he? I just, I want to picture this. There's 15,000 people, lots of people. There's kids mixed in there. I just, like, what do you think it was like? I like to imagine the people in the back. Right? This is, this is a big crowd. People in the back. And can you imagine, just like it kind of, at first, kind of comes in whispers, like, Jesus says he's going to feed us all okay, okay. It's kind of coming. It's spreading through. And then they can kind of see that he's like blessing the bread. They can see that happening and they're like someone like cracks a joke like, oh yeah he's going to feed us all. That would be my husband probably in the crowd. And then (laughs) he, him and his dad, they would be just making jokes the whole time about it. And then the food would be coming and so then the whispers are spreading and people are making comments and then the food is spreading and the food is spreading and the food is spreading and they're going, what? wait a second. It's not, it's not stopping. It's still coming. Oh yeah, it's going to make it all the way back to us. And then it does. It makes it all the way to the back. And so then all of a sudden these people who are there and who are wondering who is this Jesus start to think, is this the one? These people are part of the first advent. Advent. The first coming of the Messiah. And even though scripture is full of prophecies of what this would look like, this Jesus guy isn't what they expected because they were looking for the Messiah to be a great king. So we have this crowd who's asking and wondering and they're experiencing this first advent, but they're not sure if they are or not. And they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Is this the advent we've been waiting for? Could this be the sign that it's really him? Remember, verse 4 told us that this is the time of Passover. It's approaching. So that means that this crowd would have been full of good Jewish people. Good Jewish people who knew their scriptures. And we'll see later on in the story that lots of them are going to start to think of the last time that God gave bread more than enough to eat. In the time of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, when God sent manna to them from the sky. And they would have been thinking, this is a sign. Jesus has to be the one. Continuing, John 6, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountainside. So last week, Colton talked a little bit about this, um, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But essentially, they saw this sign. It confirmed for them, Jesus is the Messiah. He's indeed the one they've been waiting for, and, and so in their minds, they needed to make him king. But that's not the way that Jesus came to be king. And as we talked about Messiah, he came to be more than that. And so the people were really confused, and Jesus kind of slipped away. So what was the point of this bread then? Really conveniently, Jesus actually explains it to us quite nicely. Um, there's an entire miracle sign in between of Jesus walking on water, coming a storm, in between that. But he, like the next day, explains it to the crowds. And so we're going to pick up, we're going to continue to read Jesus explaining this. And so John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you, when did you get here? Because he walked across the lake. He walked there. The rest of them had to go around. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, but you're... "'You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, "'but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. "'Do not work for food that spoils, "'but for food that endures to eternal life, "'which the Son of Man will give you. "'On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval.' "'Then they asked him, "'What must we do, what must we do to do the works of God requires?' "'Jesus answered, "'The work of God is this, "'to believe in the one he has sent.'" Jesus is saying, the father's put his seal of approval on him. He's saying that he's anointed. Jesus says that. And so let's continue reading verse 30. Um, So they asked him, what sign then will you give me so that we may see you and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now here's what, this doesn't really make sense to me. John 1, 1 to 15, we have the account of Jesus feeding thousands of people. This question comes in verse 30, after the fact. And I just, I picture Jesus being like, uh, what do you think I did yesterday? What do, you, what do you think just happened? Also, P.S., did you know I can walk on water? Like, I'm a Messiah, hello, right? He's, he's much much more gracious than that. That's kind of like my, my message version. And I, I looked at the message version of the rest of this and it's a little bit sassy and I I think it captures the emotions of what's happening this a little bit. So we're going to read the rest of this text from the message. I put part of that on, if you have a bulletin, it's part of it is on the words to live by. If you want to follow along, it'll also be on the screen. I'm most of you probably didn't bring your message version. If you did, I mean, I'm using it in my sermon. So good for you. That's okay. So we're going to read the message version, John 6. We're going to continue the rest of the story from there, starting in verse 30. They waffled. See, it's already so good. (laughs) They waffled. Why don't you give us a clue about who you are? Just a hint of what's going on. When we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves. Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus responded, The real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my Father is right now offering you bread from heaven, the real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. And you see what just happened here? They're asking for more bread. Jesus just told them, It's not about the bread. And they're asking for more bread. So they've missed it. Jesus tells them they've missed it. And if you actually look back in Exodus 16, where Moses is going and he's saying, yeah, God's going to give us this bread. It says right in, that the, in there in Exodus 16 that the purpose of that food to the Israelites in the wilderness was to be a sign of God to them. That, I, that he was their God. It says it right in the scriptures that they're trying to point out to Jesus that it's not about the bread, and they still don't get it. So verse 35, Jesus continues to explain. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more, thirsts no more, ever. I have told you this explicitly, because even though you've seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus explains, yes, I am he. I am the Messiah. And then just just listen to what happens. This is in a nutshell, that will. That everything handed over to me by the Father would be completed. Not a single detail missed, and at the wrap-up of time, I have everything and everyone put together upright and whole. This is what my Father wants, to see anyone who sees the Son and trusts who He is and and does and then aligns with Him will enter real life, eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet, alive and whole at the completion of time. At this, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, the Jews started arguing over Him. Isn't this the son of Joseph? Don't we know his father? Don't we know his mother? How can he say, I came down out of heaven and expect anyone to believe him? And they're starting to feel like the answer to their question is no, that Jesus can't be the one they're waiting for because he's not a king. And so I just, I read this about the Israelites and Exodus and then Jesus trying to explain, and I just think, you know, leadership is really hard. Or if you're not leading people, if you have kids or work with kids or just like humans at all, you know, you're just, you're working so hard, you're, you think you're, you're growing and people are progressing and you're going in the same way and then, oh, they haven't moved. Awesome. It's just great. It's kind of like potty training a kid who then unpotty potty trains themselves just when you got rid of all your pull-ups, you know? Or in my case, they're perfectly old enough to know how to use the washroom and not be in pull-ups, but they're too lazy and just comfortable with how it is, because don't ask my mom how long I was in pull-ups for. (laughs) The Jews had everything they needed in the Torah, the law, the Old Testament, to be able to recognize the Messiah. But when it came time to actually meet that Messiah, they were stuck in what they'd come to know and be comfortable with. The bread's all they wanted. Fill my needs. Meet my desires. Be our Messiah King. And get rid of our enemies so we can be prosperous and successful and comfortable. Do this for me so my life will be easier. How often do we treat Jesus like this? We're coming up on Christmas, and when we think of Christmas, do we anticipate the coming? Do we know him and look around our world in our life and just, just look around a little bit more for him this season? Or do we think of what we want from the season? about whether that's gifts or perfect parties or nice decorations or just your family to all get along. Most weeks in our large group time with the kindergarten grade fives downstairs, we take group prayer requests at the end of our large group time. And the kids, there's some really wonderful, precious things that they pray for. But also, can can you ask God to give me more wins in Fortnite? The amount of times I've heard that prayer request Oh, boy. Parents, you can guess which of your kids are the ones asking for that prayer every week. God, ask God to give me this. Ask God to make me better at that. And, you know, we think, you know, one day, one day they'll learn to bring more serious things to God. But if we're really being honest, are our prayers really all that different from a child with a Christmas wish list? We wish, I just, I just love a Christmas where I just got everything I wanted and we'll feast, and we'll feast, and we'll feast, 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 feast. And if you didn't know, that line is from the best Christmas movie ever made, The Grinch, live action. And I just, oh, such a good movie. If you've never seen it, it's taken off Netflix right now. Wait till after Christmas and watch it. It's so good. Or I own it, you can borrow it. Uh, we're going to watch a clip of The Grinch, because I just, think, I just think it's so fitting just talking about this sign right before Christmas, and I think The Grinch actually addresses this issue quite well. So we're going to watch it quick.
1: That's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. That's what it's always been about. Gifts. Gifts. Gifts, 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 gifts. You want to know what happens to your gifts? They all come to be in your garbage. You see what I'm saying? In your garbage. And the avarice. The avarice never ends. I want golf clubs, I want diamonds, I want a pony so I can ride it twice, get bored, and sell it to make glue! Look, I don't want to make waves, but this whole Christmas season is stupid, stupid, stupid!
0: It's good, right? Don't you just want to watch that movie? Ah, so good. What is your Christmas season about? In the story of feeding the 5,000, Jesus is feeding them, sustaining them, so they could get to the real food. He met their temporary need of food so he could meet their eternal need of himself. We all have these wish lists, but somehow it's never enough. Even the good things, it's not enough. Your perfect Christmas, your perfect boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, best friend, they're not enough. God, just give me the bread. Just give me the fill in the blank. What's the bread on your wish list? What are the things that you're saying to God like the crowds or to Jesus when you think of what you really want? What's on that list for you? Bring Jesus your Christmas wish list. Yeah, lay those at his feet. He wants to hear about those things. But recognize that even if he gives you every single thing that you have on that list, it's never going to be enough unless you're asking for Jesus. We all have needs. We all have real needs. Some of us have needs that are so deep and so raw that we actually don't know how we're going to make it if those needs aren't going to be met. But what would it look like to take all those needs that we have and leave them at the cross and only ask for Jesus? And I'm not saying stop asking for God's help or to stop including God in every little area, whether that's just playing Fortnite or whatever it is in your life. Include him in it. It's important. He should be a part of your whole life. And still pray for miraculous, supernatural events. Still do those things. Like healing the blind, feeding the hungry. Because God cares about those things deeply. He wants to meet those needs. I believe God can do those things. And I know he does those things. Because we have supernatural, miraculous story things interwoven into all of our stories. Some of us really, really obvious ones. Some of us maybe not so obvious. But we all have ways of these amazing things that God has done and the ways that he has moved in our lives. Two weeks ago, Chris just pointed to some really simple miraculous things that we as a church do, like making a safe home for people in El Salvador and Mexico or putting together Christmas hampers for families that have less. And those are so important and they're core to who we are as a church and who God calls us to be as his people. But remember all of those needs that God calls us to meet are only temporary. God gave Israel manna from the sky and they all still died eventually. Jesus points this out in John 6:49. They needed food at the time, but that wasn't what it was about. Hunger is a temporary human condition. Jesus is the eternal human need. If we're just building houses to provide safety, which is such a good thing, we've still missed it. If we're just filling Christmas hampers to make someone's Christmas season a little bit better, which is such a good thing, we've still missed it. We build houses and make Christmas hampers because it meets a temporary need that allows us to show God's kingdom and meet people's eternal need of Jesus' love, of experiencing his love. It allows us to be a sign to others of what is to come through Jesus. This whole sign started with Jesus taking the lunch of a boy and multiplying it. And I think that there's an invitation to see, just here to say, imagine if you gave me not just your bread, but your whole life. Just imagine what I could do. Because we're waiting for the Messiah too. The first Advent has happened, but Jesus is coming again. And we celebrate Advent every Christmas in anticipation of this. So what do we do until then? Jesus calls us to believe. Going back to John 20, which we looked at at the beginning, verse 31. But these signs, these miracles, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you will have life in his name. And by believe, it's not just to know or to understand. The word here in Greek is pistis, which means faith, faithfulness, trust. To believe meaning have faith. Having faith in Jesus, you will have life. Jesus is the Messiah, the answer we've all been waiting for. So my question for you today is, how is Jesus as Messiah good news in your life? If you have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that you trust that he really is who he said he is, what does that mean for your life? Because the answer to that question is your testimony. And your testimony is the most powerful sign that you have to showing other people who Jesus is. This semester I joined a women's Bible study group on the book of Revelation and one of the things that I've really taken away from this study is that Satan wants to wreck our testimony. Revelation 12, verse 10 to 11 says, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down and they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb by the word of our testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. This word accuser, when this word is used in the New Testament, we see it used when people are trying to accuse Jesus, when they're looking for ways to have a reason to bring him before a judge. We also see it used when people are trying to accuse Paul, the missionary, when they're trying to get rid of him, search for ways that they can get him before a judge to stop him. It's usually in reference to accusing before a judge. And in this case of Revelation, the judge is God. And the accuser is the works of Satan trying to bring sin victory over our lives. The accuser who tries to take your acts and your sign and your testimony has already been triumphed by the blood of the lamb, which covers your sins, so they hold no power over your story. So what's left? The word of their testimony. Death is the last enemy. It's the worst the devil can do to us. And Revelation gives us this picture of the accuser trying to get you to doubt your testimony. And that's where we see martyrs, where we see people giving up their lives as a sign to proclaim who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. What's your testimony? How is Jesus as Messiah good news in your life? I've put this question, if you have bulletins in the word to live by, insert, so you can take that home and think through that question. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in life-threatening situations. That's the story of some Christians, yes. But whether or not that's your reality, don't let that be something that Satan uses to make you doubt your testimony because that's something that he's used. For me to doubt the worthiness of my story because I haven't been faced with death for my faith. Don't let that get to you if you're not someone who would consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to instead just ask the question of the crowds and the Jewish leaders and his disciples. Who is this Jesus? But I give you that invitation with a caution. Because you can respond to what you find to that that question, like lots of the Jewish leaders did, like lots of the people in Jesus' time did, and you can deny it. But if you take the time to honestly ask the question, who is this Jesus? Be ready to find the answer that he is everything you've been looking for this whole time. And when you know that Jesus is your Messiah, it changes your life. So ask the question, but be prepared that the answer is big. And if you do believe, or you at least think you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I would invite you, challenge you to ask those two questions that I've asked this morning. And again, they're on your words live by insert. Or, I don't know, sc- there we have the two questions. You can screenshot the screen, take a picture of it. So you have these two questions. What's the bread on your wish list? And how is Jesus as Messiah good news in your life? And really take some time to listen to God about these questions. When I took the time to ask this first question... What is the bread on my wish list? There was one really, really obvious answer. It's not easy, but I just, I know this answer. And that's actually my husband as my provider. And this is where I see the root of so many of our fights, actually. For me, expecting him to be my provider in ways that only Jesus can. And often it leaves me feeling really resentful towards him. And I know that. And he and I have talked about that. And that's something I'm probably going to have to continually work on for Colin to not be my bread. And as I was listening and asking this question, I was faced with something else, something that I, I know because it kind of makes sense with my personality, but I've never faced so directly. And it's, it's, really, it's a really hard answer. I was going to make a comment about a woman preaching and crying it's your kids it's the kids of this church they're my bread I, I need them to enjoy coming to church and I need them to listen and to learn because that is where and how I define my worth I feel my calling to children's ministry so deep to my core that I have let that be louder than my call to Jesus when it comes down to it, the bread that I long for most is to just hear the words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And like the Jews of Jesus' day, I have come to only see Jesus as my king. And I just, I just want to please him so bad. I just need to please him. And so as I was, I was soaking this in and soaking in the dependence that I have on success in my job, I just felt God saying, yes, I'm your king, but I'm also your prophet. And I'm God, and I'm here with you. And I'm your priest, and I've already done everything there is to be done. My child, don't you see? There's nothing left for you to achieve. It is finished. These words that I believe God spoke to me on Thursday while I was driving home from the church, I was sobbing as I was. it's not safe. But I, I probably should have pulled over. Uh. But as I, was, as I was just soaking in these words, I also recalled I had been asking this question on December 8th in my journaling. And I asked, how is Jesus as king good news in my life? Because that's the question I really need to answer right now. And here's what I wrote. I don't have to be in control or know what's going to happen. I don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't all land on me. I'm not the leader. I'm the follower. And the pressures I feel to succeed are actually not my pressures to feel because the king has already won and I can rest in Jesus' kingship. So my job and my calling, it's only a sign of who Jesus is. It's just the bread that shows the way to the real stuff, to the Messiah, to the great prophet, Who represents God to us who is God himself in human flesh and the great priest who represents us to God who allows us to have this relationship with the holy one and to the king of kings and lord of lords who rules over us and empowers us to live as his his representatives on earth to be assigned to all of who the messiah the bread of life of who our Jesus is let's pray together Father, I thank you that you are our bread. I thank you that I don't have to be anybody's bread. And I just, I confess that I make so many things in my life what needs to be you. So I just, I pray for greater dependence on you. I pray that you would show yourself to all of us in ways that we can say, that's him. That's my God. That's my Messiah. And that we would just drop everything to follow you. And I pray for anyone in this room who's asking that question, who is this Jesus who maybe doesn't know the answer? Just be with them in that that asking and that question and just help them be open to what the answer might be. Father, I just, yeah, I thank you for who you are and for the way that you love us so well. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: In just response to what, what Kendall shared, uh, what, a great, what a great word this morning. I was reminded of a story in the New Testament, the blind man, Bartimaeus, and Jesus comes to him and says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you need? And uh, it sometimes seems like an obvious question, well, well Jesus, I need to see. Uh, but sometimes Jesus wants us to respond and tell him uh, what we really need. Uh, Because sometimes we settle for less than what we need. Sometimes we just settle for bread when Jesus is offering us living bread. And so I ask you this Christmas season, what do you really need? I know we got lots of stuff on our wish list, but what do you really need? And my guess is that you either need a king, you need a prophet, or you need a priest. The truth is you need all three. But in responding to the Messiah, the Anointed One, uh, maybe some of you have been the king of your own life, you've been ruling your own life, you've been calling your shots, and this Christmas is to respond to your great need, and that's to bend your knee to the king of kings. Maybe that's what you need this Christmas season. Maybe you need the prophet that came to actually reveal to you who God truly is. Some of you have distorted ideas of what God is like, that God's against you, that he's not for you, and Jesus comes to actually represent God to you in this beautiful, life-transforming way, the self-sacrificing person on the cross who came for the forgiveness of your sins. Which leads us to maybe the third point is the priest, that Jesus perfectly came to take away any sin, any wrongdoing in your life. And we just sang about this joy, right? And I don't know if you pay attention to the lyrics, but it's talking about the king and the, the priest and the prophet, even in the, the, the lyrics of joy to the world, that we respond to this anointed one, And maybe there's things going on in your life, decisions that you've made that you know you just, you know, they're weighing down on you. They've actually created a separation between you and God and you and others. And Jesus comes as the perfect priest to say, you know what? I can take away all of that stuff that is in the way. I can take it all away. And maybe that's what you really need this Christmas. I'm going to invite our our prayer folks forward. And uh, and if you just feel a tug on your heart to respond to Jesus as King, as prophet, as priest as the Messiah this morning, uh, we just invite you to come forward. Our prayer teams would love to pray with you. And I'm going to pray with you to close. Jesus, we thank you that you are the anointed one. We thank you that you are the king of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, that you came to rule. And Lord, this Christmas season we recognize you as king and bow our knee to you and, and we just give you control of our lives Lord maybe there's some here that have never done that before Lord that this morning they would give you control of their lives that they would experience the joy of giving up control and Lord there's some who have distorted ideas of what you are like and Jesus I thank you that you came to show us God with flesh on what you were truly like Lord, I pray that we'd be transformed. We'd be transformed by by your presence, by the revelation of who you are. And Lord, some of us need to know you as the perfect priest. Lord, we don't need to keep responding and in religion, trying to make up for all the wrong things we've done, but, Lord, that you would forgive us completely for all time because of the work that you've done on the cross. So we just say thank you for being Messiah. Thank you for being the anointed. Thank you for being the all in all and for being truly what we would need. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for coming. We'll see you guys next uh, Sunday morning.